Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. And you're welcome back to The Pulse. Despite having a huge debt cancellation about a decade ago, Ghana still loses um, almost 30% of its annual revenue to payments on its external debt alone and is currently under a 17th IMF program hoping to salvage an age-old economic problem debt crisis as we know it. In our latest hotline documentary, Journalist is Isaac Kofia J, uh, of course, takes us on that historical ride tracking Ghana's uh, over six decades of ballooning public debt stock. We are described as not creditworthy. No, no creditors will continue to give us uh, credit lines to, to run the business of government for the nation. And since we had only four years to prove that we could govern, uh, we, we might be worse off than what we inherited. So we decided to go the hippie way. And it worked. Ghana was the second biggest beneficiary of debt relief, literally in the world, though this is a list of African countries. In terms of the proportion of your GDP and that's a proportion of how much debt that was you know, forgiven, Ghana was number two on the, on, on the list of African countries at least. So you see that we have huge benefits from HIPIC, more than uh, $6 billion of money was freed up uh, for us. The borrowing came a vicious cycle and Ghana couldn't escape the trap even after debt forgiveness. Ghana discovered oil and by 2011, the country had started producing and exporting its first barrels of crude oil. I do not want Ghanaians to think that the oil discovery is the end of everything. That is the end of the journey. If anything, it's the beginning of the journey. We want to make sure that we derive the maximum benefit from the oil. But that should not take away attention from the other very important areas, agriculture. No nation can flourish without a strong agricultural base. In January 2011, Ghana was said to become the fastest growing economy in sub-Saharan Africa, as projected by the World Bank, with an end-period growth rate of 13.4%. Indeed, Ghana ended 2011 with a growth rate of 14%. By 2015, Ghana's economy was in trouble hobbled by widening current account and budget deficits, rampant inflation, and a depreciating currency. Credit dried up as interest rates rose, and banks' bad loans piled up. Precisely because the structure of the economy explains a lot of the things that you see at the macro level and even at the micro level. So that is why, because essentially we, are, we don't add margins to the uh, primary commodities. And look, the world thrives on margins. To the extent that you are not adding margins, you are not getting value. And therefore, you don't command price in the market. After several considerations, Ghana was back to the IMF seeking a fresh bailout. This was our 16th. But by the time we went to Sinchi and uh, looked at the policies and the rest, we realized 
you know, that it was going to be difficult. And then as, you know, was the case, the development partners also decided that, you know, they didn't think we could handle this problem ourselves. Uh, they look to the IMF, which is a lender of last resort. It will be the last time we will have to go to the IMF again for any such program. This will be the IMF program to end all programs. One target of Ghana's 16th IMF program was to help restore our debt burden to sustainable levels. The 16th IMF program actually failed on one of its objectives, which was to substantially bring down debt. So the 16th IMF program really did not do much in terms of uh, bringing Ghana's debt to a sustainable level. And uh, that's Kofi Ajay's work. Fortunately, he's joining us in the studio uh, just to talk about this uh, very first part that we're witnessing. And Isaac, very striking memories of our ex-presidents, and we'll be getting to that point definitely where we'll talk about uh, those who are now in power. But let's start off with the trajectory. What did did this whole journey start off from for, for the Republic of Ghana? Well, it's 66 years now, and we've not been able to solve our own debt crisis ourselves. And each time we try solving this, we need a certain <clears throat> sorry, external force to come in, which has always been the IMF. So we've been to the IMF 17 times, and when we went to the IMF in 2016, which was our 15th, you saw President Mahama saying this was going to be the IMF program that was going to end all IMF programs. So he was certain at that point in time that that was going to be assisting and the last. Right. But you and I are here currently in the studios and we know we are currently under a 17th IMF program and we are probably anticipating an 18th and 19th and then probably a continuous IMF to, to I, I don't know, right. it could be infinite. Right. But the point is that since independence, we've not been able to solve our own debt crisis ourselves. We've been using this IMF you know, module and methodology, and it is not working because right. on the average, it's, it takes us just four years or five years, and we are back to the same trajectory. And we are going to the IMF to, to pick up new loans, go to the IMF shopping mall, and say we want this program, we want the other, this program. Right. And know that the IMF doesn't really impose any program on any Government, so right. you go there with your own program in 2016. Setepe and his, uh, you know, Mama and Setepe went there with a program they called the, um, you know, the homegrown policy. Right. They went there with that, and now we've gone to the IMF again with what we call the enhanced domestic program, right. which has come with its own haircut. So let's try and see if this will be there. I see. And very often, the believers, once we implement the recommendations coming through this uh, adjustment programs and economic reform, we should be on a track for economic recovery. Scientifically speaking, and looking at the data we have, it does work in terms of economic recovery, but we don't play that role in sustaining that economic recovery. So, for instance, the last one we ran, uh, and of course, um, uh, tipping off in 2018, for instance, the data indicates, and clearly uh, the indication is there, that you see very clearly, uh, as, we, as we can uh, see, uh, of course, uh, through the graphs that we have, that indeed our economy picks at some point once we're exiting the IMF program. That's correct? Yeah, of course. So it takes us three years, mm. and then we are back again. So mm. that has been the trajectory. Uh, well, uh, when, when we talk about even the history itself, 
you've been speaking to a number of persons then going into the archives. What, what do you sense? Do you feel that this has become more or less a political matter that, of course, is just part of the rhetoric and politicians take advantage of it and make statements or, or as and when they feel it's convenient? Well, so it looks like as if it's more or less like a fiscal populism where, you know, we have <coughs> beautiful programs but the political will to carry, you know, these programs through has, is always lacking because we've not been able to do it, and that has been the problem. Yeah. We have very beautiful programs. We draw nice programs with good outcomes, but we've not been able to do yeah. it. Well. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, we'll, we'll be getting into the details uh, because, uh, as we need to point out clearly, uh, in a few days from now, we'll be bringing you part two. Uh, of that uh, interaction. And, and while we ready ourselves for that, there's a need for us to first of all look at the trajectory, where we started off from, and where we're heading to. Uh, Isaac will be giving us a sense of um, where we're heading to in terms of what to expect next uh, in this very uh, package. Uh, now you're here with us. Of course, many are expecting that part two will highlight uh, where we moved on to as a nation, where, of course, the new Patriotic Party administration came into power. We saw, we saw the trailer yeah, there. Yeah. The vice president pointing out clearly reasons for which he believes we're running an IMF program. W what are we to expect in the next phase? So the part one is the genesis. Part two is what we call from hero to zero. Mm. Because remember, in 2021, Ghana became the trailblazer where, because of our economic you know, outlook and indicators, mm. we're actually able to get... A zero percent interest on a certain euro bond. Right. In twenty twenty one, we became a trailblazer where all creditors wanted to give us money. But right now, we are actually in a situation where we've been kicked out of that, um, you know, credit market. Yeah. Where we can't go back to borrow from the euro bond market. But just two, three, or four years ago, we were the darling boys in the euro bond market, and everybody wanted to lend to us. So in the part two, we look at what we call from hero to zero. Right. How Ghana moved from a very vibrant economy with very good indicators mm. to the point where we had to okay. go and beg creditors. And that's why you're calling that uh, a nation that begs. Uh, in fact, we're, we're expecting more of this, and it's just the beginning of the series. So let's start that series with uh, international development expert and associate professor of political economy uh, at uh, GIMPA, uh, of course, uh, dealing with matters of international relations at the School of Public Service and Governance. He's also the author of Reinventing Development, uh, Politics of Aid Reforms and Technologies of uh, Governance in Ghana, published by Rutledge in 2016. Professor Lord Malkwe Yafuga is my guest joining us via Zoom. Thank you, sir, for your time. Of course, at the time you were putting out this piece in 2016, Ghana was running a 16th uh, IMF um, program uh, under the Eswal John Dramani Mahama administration. And the promise then, as we've seen through this uh, documentary, is that well, we're not going to go back to the Britain Woods institutions. But you've tracked that history uh, in your book. Where did, where did it all start off for us? And why uh, would you say uh, is, is that we have that situation where Ghana keeps going back to the International Monetary Fund? Thank you, Blizzard, and um, good afternoon to you and your viewers. Uh, uh, I hope you can hear me clearly. A little loud and clear, sir. Yes, so we, we can argue that the whole history of Ghana IMF relations started off in 1966, in May 1966. We went to the IMF for support. Uh, it was a standalone agreement to support the economy, cover stabilities in the economy after the Nkuma years. And we were also to help to support us to advertise certain state owned enterprises. 
Then from that period, almost every year, coincidentally around the same month of May, so 66, 67, 68, 69, we were going to the IMF every year for standby stand or stand-alone arrangement to correct anything that we thought was wrong in the economy. Now, remember that you see the IMF and the World Bank, these are liberal institutions. I think that point needs to be underscored. So, um, your, your guest or your, your colleague, the studio said earlier that the IMF doesn't impose conditions. Well, even if they don't impose a condition directly, they will do so indirectly because the IMF and the World Bank, these are liberal institutions. As a matter of fact, we call them part of the liberal international order that came into being after the Second World War. So they were set up in 1944 at the Bretton Woods Conference by the, by the free world, so to speak led by America. And the idea was to have a liberal international financial system. So we cannot be kidding ourselves. These are liberal institutions. Therefore, their policies are liberal policies. Privatization, downsizing the public sector, etc. Remember that from the 1980s to 70s, globally speaking, you have the Keynesian economic system that focused largely on welfare, welfareism, so the welfare state. But that all changed because over time, the institutions, the IMF and the World Bank, together with their major countries, like the United States and UK, began to accept their liberal policy agenda. And so we need to have this discussion in that context, that these are liberal institutions with philosophical and ideological uh, bent towards the, the, the right. Therefore, their policies are policies that will promote liberal agenda. If you compare that to where we were under Kwame Nkrumah, where we were largely state-led, the state was predominant in our economic management. That all changed because when you start going to the IMF and the World Bank for any form of policy support, then the policies have to be liberal policies. So that that context clear. Uh, but while you, you make that clear to us, um, of course, the, the assurance by successive governments, as we've just started seeing, in fact, there, there, there's more in the series, uh, we've discovered that each and every government gives that assurance that we will not return to the IMF. At least that assurance has been given on countless occasions. Uh, we've seen that in the Kufour era, uh, the indication was given uh, during the Mills era, briefly, and then, of course, we're seeing John Mahama who took over and also pledging at the time that we're not going to um, return to the, uh, to the fund. Uh, here we are today, and the story is still the same. Yes, the story is the same because I think more often than not, our policymakers miss out on the political economy. I mean, you don't run countries based solely on econometrics or economic common sense. And that is why we can make predictions and say that we are not going to the IMF because we are assuming that everything that happens to the economy is within our control. But if you study political economy, which is the interplay of economic uh, forces or economic policy um, and political actors and political processes, both locally and internationally, then you begin to appreciate why you cannot sit in your country and make very bold claims that we are not going to the IMF. Because if you look at where we are now, Yes, we can have our own internal conversations about mismanagement, corruption, and what have you. But you have Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. 
¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Also to trade the whole discussion in the broader global contest where we have challenges coming from the broader global economy including the COVID, including the war in Ukraine. So the interplay of these local and external factors will have implications for our economy. So yes, you can say you are not going to the IMF, but because you don't have control of some of these forces, you may have to swallow, I mean... I mean why, why make the point? So, yeah, why make the point that we, we may have our own policies, but the, the West, as you're pointing out, would have to dictate to us? Yes, so because the point I'm making is that if you look at the fundamentals of most economies in Africa and the global south, they, they, they are dependent largely on the international system in view of the things that we export and things that, the things that we import. And you, have, you don't have control over these forces. Yes, it is true that if you look at the behavior of all post-colonial, all post-independent government of this country, they've all done some of the bad things in, in their books in terms of economic management. They have overspent. Um, I mean, they, they get less from revenue and spend more in expenditure. So we have not lived within our means. So that's a major issue. There are issues about corruption and mismanagement. Money that cannot be accounted for. These are internal problems that bedevil almost every developing country, particularly those in Africa. But the larger point I'm also making is that we need to situate all these internal forces and forces in the broader global economic system. Because if you, if you go back in history, the reason most countries started going to the IMF and the World Bank was the OPEC. OPEC is Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. The OPEC crisis of the 1970-73, starting in 73, where the OPEC countries unilaterally had prices of their commodities, and that destabilized the, the, the market for oil products, and that forced most countries to start looking for means of managing their economic in terms of how do we get money to import fuel? And eventually, the debt crisis emerged because most of these countries started to accumulate a lot of debt from getting money from the private financial market. Then we went to the IMF and the World Bank for uh, conditionality lending, and that is the beginning of the structure adjustment. Mm. So if you look at it, it is the OPEC oil crisis of the 1970s that actually worsened the plight of most countries and set the tone for the increasing role and influence of the IMF and the World Bank in the economic management of most countries. Uh, let's look at a milestone, for instance, uh, when we got into the Kufo administration. And that was a unique turnaround moment for us. Politically, uh, within the country, it was used against the administration. But the HIPIC program uh, was to see a situation where Ghana would enjoy debt forgiveness. And still, that did not work for us. Yeah, I think we got a lot of windfall from HIPIC. Now, we need to understand HIPIC as debt relief, as it was meant to be. HIPIC was not like they are giving you any extra money per se. It's like the money should have been paying your credit. You are now relieved from paying those monies to them, and you should channel those monies to poverty reduction. So that is why one of the conditions for the HIPIC was the ability to have poverty reduction strategy papers, country papers. You need to have that in place as in return for the, the, the debt relief under HIPIC. Now, did we manage that because our debts were literally written off 
but we know we go back again to the bad ways of spending beyond our means. And that, again, created a situation where we had to go back to the IMF and the World Bank. So I think consistently, even when we get a debt wiped out in completely, where we have to start from the scratch or from the, the clean slate, we always and, and one of the things that has actually happened in the Fourth Republic in particular is the, the overall expenditures during election period. And that is something that every government under the Fourth Republic has done. And that has also messed up. So you see that after elections, that the new government uh, is begins to look for uh, money from everywhere mm. in order to survive because of our indiscipline. In spending money during election years. Mm. And just before we go, um, in your book, um, Reinventing Development, you, you point out how African leaders have not been resilient enough and taking bold decisions and policy measures that will address uh, the problem from its roots. You, you feel yes. we're still in that situation? Yeah, and we're in that situation largely because we've been caught up in the neoliberal policy agenda. See, the, so long as you are the ability of you to manage your economy from your own point of view is going to be difficult. I mean, if you've coming from the, the critical side of I mean, scholarship, you look at these institutions and ask the question, whose interests or what interests do they represent? Do they represent the interests of poor countries in terms of management of economy? These are global international forces, and they don't account to us. They, don't, they are not responsible to poor countries, but they are responsible and they are account to us. They, don't, they are not responsible to poor countries, but they are responsible and they are I can't bring stability. WTO cannot bring macroeconomic stability to a country and stop the currency from depreciating or the exchange rate management has to come from inside the country. And that is what the, the U.S. manages to do to keep the dollar stable. So if once we get our macroeconomic management right in many of our countries, we bring more stability to all the currencies, then it will become easier to trade. So that's the only thing. So we just need to keep at it. Right now, things are not very stable. But you must remember that not all of it is the fault of the presidency. The world bank president has the uh, so, so, Sorry, that we, we lost you briefly, um, Prof, on the point you're making uh, about accountability. If you could just take that point for us. Please. Yes, in a way, that makes you less dependent on these international financial institutions mm. that are controlled by the working All right. Uh, we're grateful uh, for spending some time with us. That's uh, Professor Lord Malko Yavuga, international development expert, joining us with his thoughts on uh, the first phase of a nation that begs the series continues. And, of course, we're set to get some more analysis on that. Thank you for joining us. Lawyers for Secretary of the Defense Interministerial Committee on Illegal Mining, Charles Bissu, are demanding copies of documents forming the basis of the decision by the Office of the Special Prosecutor to investigate him. Uh, lead counsel Nana Ajay Ewa told the High Court he is unable to move the motion asking the court to restrain the OSP unless he receives the document. Lawyers for the OSP uh, led by Dr. 
um, Isidor Tufo, however, disagreed with this uh, viewpoint. Dr. Tufo insisted there is no relationship between the set document Mr. Bisu is requesting and the motion uh, for injunction. This legal battle is in respect of investigations uh, conducted by the Office of the Special Prosecutor on the back of the documentary Galamsey Ford, published by Anas Arimia Anas. Legal Affairs Correspondent Joseph Akable has the rest of the story. That article that pointed them to the fact that indeed someone saw the petition asking the Office of Special Prosecutor to investigate Charles Bisco. That pointed them to the fact that indeed someone saw the petition asking the Office of Special Prosecutor to investigate Charles Bisco. Thank you very much, um, Dario, and then also good afternoon to all your viewers and listeners. Um, the AFCFTA. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a thing forward. I mean, we can have a guy private investigation and an outside one. And so they want a copy of that investigation, which they believe will enable them to put forward their case as to why the court should not allow the investigation to attend any of them. So we are not present in court today. And we'll get you some updates and keep our eyes on that story for you this afternoon. We're also taking it to Botiano. There's a concern about the police operation within the area, which resulted in the death of five persons who the police say were uh, land guards terrorizing residents there. The Bureau of Public uh, Safety is demanding an immediate and independent investigation into the incident, which happened last Thursday. Uh, we'll hear from Dr. Nanayao Akwada uh, on this uh, issue shortly. Uh, we take you, would also be taking you to the community uh, where, of course, all of this uh, has happened. My colleague, uh, of course, Bakwisi Shandolf will be giving us some updates. He would also be taking you to the community uh, where, of course, all of this uh, has happened. My colleague, uh, of course, Bakwisi Shandolf will be giving us some updates. For the seven countries that are ratified, will begin to actually uh, commence commercially uh, meaningful trade. You know, not so that it will not just be uh, just uh, by talk, but also by action. You know, so I think so far, um, if you look at the nature of, of goods that are even traded, under the GTI, that is also giving us hope. Developments and the indications from the Ghana Police Service uh, that these were land guards who were uh, sub subjects or victims of this extrajudicial killing. Good afternoon to you, sir. Welcome to the concerns. Uh, affinity of police operations with dead bodies. I think it is not something that we should encourage in a in a you know scheme of things in terms of how the police operate and that's why we had to issue this presser also we also realized that the police um, practice of throwing uh, press statements every time they go on operations and uh, results in death they throw press statements at the public respectfully is 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 not something that we should also encourage when you go for an operation and people die, it's important that you face the public and answer questions from the public. Answer questions, take questions from the public so that you can clarify issues with the public. We did not see that in the case of Botiano. We did not see that in um, other cases that have passed in recent past. And we think that it's important that we draw the police attention to it. Um, just, this will just be my uh, preliminary 
comments. There are other aspects that border on, um, you know, trust in the police, the place of the police in our democracy, uh, police operation planning, and things that we will need to talk about as we progress with that. I see. Uh, but just as beginning, beginning to, in fact, question the human rights record of the Ghana Police Service, and, and yet they won't open up no transparency about the identities of these individuals and uh, whether or not there is actual evidence backing um, why, of course, they may have been shot. You feel the police should come out on this? Absolutely. It's the reason why we are here. This is 2023. The police are supposed to be accountable to the oversight bodies and the stakeholders. And we, as civil society organizations, as individual or private citizens, the police are accountable to us. So to the extent that the police do not deem it necessary to lay bare the facts to us, they do not deem it necessary to answer questions from us in order to win us over it is problematic, and that's what brings us here, that the police must be accountable to us in this democracy. We are living in an era of rule of law. The single institution that is tasked with ensuring that the, uh, the principle of rule of law operates and operates effectively is the police institution. And so if they want to operate under clouds, under darkness, without transparency, without accountability, what they are doing is that they are undermining their own legitimacy, which will transmit into the legitimacy also of the government. And we will not have a country. We will not have a democracy. And so it is absolutely important that the police hold themselves as accountable to us. It is absolutely important that their practices and their operations are clear with us, the citizens, so that we can be on their side. As a stance now, everybody is skeptical of the police. I am skeptical of the police. The Bureau of Publicity is skeptical of the police. And you from the media just mentioning here um, that you suspect extrajudicial killing. That is serious. And so the police should not give us any doubt, any um, opportunity to even begin to think that they have a good powers on, onto themselves to the extent that they determine who should live and who should not. Respectfully, they do not have those powers. The Constitution has not given them those powers and they should not be seen you know, exercising powers that they do not have like we have seen in times past. The Ghana Police Service has changed this um operanda in terms of how they deal with communication and uh, not even a single word to the media ever since this incident uh, happened and, and we're not clear if indeed there'll be any public statement on this beyond this there are other stakeholders there's parliament and uh, there's also the office of the attorney general who, who doubles as the minister for justice your expectations well i i think that the police institution is what it is today because of the lack of proper oversight from the constitutionally mandated oversight bodies that have been created. And I'm talking the police council, I'm talking the, the uh, parliamentary select committee on defense and interior. 
we have not seen any significant action from them in in Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. In, in recent times, why must we have a police force that um, have um, used the state's money to procure body cams for them, and yet they go on operations without these body cams? That is criminal. It's not just, um, um, if you like, maladministration. It is also criminal. It means you have something to hide. And especially when you come back with dead bodies and come and tell us stories that it's difficult for the individual or the ordinary person on the street to verify. We all saw how the police, after killing seven people in Ashanti region, went ahead to plant evidence against them. And the police stood by their narrative until an independent investigation body proved otherwise. We have all seen how people arrested, suspects arrested in lawful custody of the police. Um, we've been told how these people have, were trapped in um, crossfire and they've lost their lives and nobody is telling us anything. Where I say, I don't trust the police to do any good job independently unless the oversight bodies, parliament and the police council will bring the constitutionally mandated authority to bear on the police service to begin to deliver service to the people and not to go about carrying dead bodies about as trophies mm-hmm. or performance indicators. Well, I see. This is 2023. Mm-hmm. Dead bodies are not a good sign of policing. They are actually a very bad sign of policing. Mm-hmm. And totally we must, Ghanaians must reject this practice of banging dead bodies around all the time as evidence of police work. Uh, it's also bringing up a conversation, and, and let's be fair to the Ghana Police Service, um, that, well, they still render service, so for now we take their accounts partly as well. Uh, the concern about Langat sterilizing uh, individuals, it's not new to you at the Bureau, is it? It's not. It's not at all. And uh, to, be fair, to be fair to the facts, I have been a victim of um, Langards before, and I know how it feels like for a developer, you know, moving into a piece of land to develop, and you have all these guys coming around, you know, uh, threatening you and frustrating you. It is. But the point is that we must hold the police force to higher standards. We must hold them to higher standards. Are they telling Ghanaians that when they were confronted with this matter and they sat down to plan this operation, confronting them in this manner was the best strategy they could marshal? Respectfully, no. These guys are um, if you like, um, land guards, they are known in the community. And the police intelligence would have led them to knowing these people, knowing where they live, in a single swoop, they could have picked all these guys up you know, um, individually without a shred of blood dropping. Right. So how do you 
tell me that you have all the powers of the state, you have all the intelligence arms at your disposal, and this was the best way you can, you know, um, treat land guards. Go in and kill people and bandy them about as though they were trophies. It is unacceptable. And I'm saying that we are not speaking because of Botiano. We are speaking because of other incidents that have taken place in the past that we are seeing this culture of violence creeping into the Ghana police service and we must nip it in the bag that when police um, operations team goes out, they should not always come with dead bodies. That is not done anywhere. When you go out and come with dead bodies, it is a time for the police leadership, for the operation commanders to bow their heads in shame because they could have done it other way without getting dead bodies. We are not talking arm robbery incidents where you have to meet arm robbers and face them fire for fire. Even in those cases, we've had the police getting it so badly wrong, they've killed innocent people. So, by all means, police modus operandi must be reviewed in this our democracy. All right. Otherwise, all of us, you and I, stand or we are risking our lives as we go about our daily duties, you know, legitimately. I hope we are all safe, uh, but we we'll have to do it here. Thank you. I hope so too, my brother. Yeah. I hope so. We'll leave it here. Dr. Nanaya Kwada joining us from the U.S. Uh, we talk about the Vice President, uh, Dr. Mahmoud Obamia, who's coming under intense pressure uh, to open up about his controversial past, which allegedly makes him a British citizen. Over the weekend, Special Assistant to the Vice President, Gideon Boako, uh, took to Facebook to indicate that, quote, the attention of the office of the Vice President has been drawn to a malicious social media allegation that, that the Vice President holds a British citizenship while holding at the office of the uh, vice president, contrary to the laws of Ghana, we wish to state that in clear terms, the vice president, Dr. Mahmoud Obama, does not hold a British citizenship and has never held a, any British uh, or any other citizenship uh, other than being a Ghanaian. The allegation should be treated with uh, the contempt it deserves. That's what came through from the office of the vice president. But there are some other groups that are mounting pressure asking the vice president to come clear about his past. Niyama Adi is a lawyer and lead fellow at the Center for Social Justice. Joining us via Zoom now. Thank you, Ni, uh, for your time. What more do you want from the vice president? Uh, thank you very much. I mean, the issues of global citizenship has been raging for some time now. In, in Ghana, I mean, if you look at the case of Jechukwesen, uh, which has called for a by-election now, so it has a matter of dual citizenship. And for the fact that he went through all the processes, all the processes to renounce his dual citizenship, yet the court found it palpable to, I mean, strike his name off the, the uh, parliament and to call for a by-election tells you the extent to which we do not take dual citizenship uh, uh, for granted. And then it's right that if you hold dual citizenship, then there are certain positions that you cannot uh, contest for or hold. Uh, that's uh, the presidency, the vice presidency, mm-hmm. the uh, parliament. And, and, and here's uh, the case. Here's the case that, that you find. Here's the case that you find the office of the vice president denying, first of all, the allegations and indicating that um, he's not held any other citizenship apart from being 
a Ghanaian. Is that not enough? What what more could we do about this? No, no. We we. I mean, we've all seen we've all seen the the marriage certificate, which I mean went viral on on social media. So so that I mean, as as it is, and it's, if it's a matter of law, then you would say that somebody would have to pick up the issue. Somebody must always bring a case before the law. So you say that you pick the certificate, go to where it was registered, and then do the further uh, 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 research. Find out if that marriage really happened. And if it happened, is it a case that it has been cancelled? And if it's cancelled, does that marriage lead to citizenship? If it does, has that citizenship been renounced? Okay, so those, those things ought to be done. And then once that is done, a prima facie case can be established if he really holds dual citizenship. If that is it, then we can get into the law and bring it before the law. But he, he, in the absence of that, we just discuss it as grapevine and mm. speculations and all that. Right. And, 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 many say, and many say that's where we should let this um, lie, given the fact that uh, we're in a political season, uh, the new patriotic party is looking for its next leader. Here's the vice president jostling for uh, the next top job within the governing party. He wants to lead the NPP as its next presidential candidate. You don't believe that there may be some political elements working against him? I mean, sometimes you also want to look at it the other way around and say that, look, uh, if uh, our vice president is of a, of a very high moral deputy, then he would say that, yes, I've seen this come around. Prove what went detail into it rather than just saying that the people should leave it to rest. We know that our law says whoever alleges must prove, but it can also go the other way around with a common sense that, look, if I'm being alleged for this, because don't forget that there's always the case for perception. Perception has a huge place to play in this social discourse and all those things. So in order to cure that perception, maybe he can go the step further, other than simply saying that I, it, is not, it does not exist, to maybe prove how it does not exist. I mean, that, that makes it very right. But, I mean, I'll be it. I mean, this is a, the internal thing. And if there is an internal interest within the party, I mean, who am I to talk for them? They will leave it to them to, to fight it out for, for themselves as an internal issue. But I think that if what we saw on social media is anything to go by, then we will probe further. I mean, I think it ought to be probed further to see where the truth lies. Yeah, but if you're asking for or whether a case, you, yeah, yes, but if you're asking for a probe, here's the case: uh, that this is the vice president we're talking about. Um, uh, clearly, you, and I'm not saying that the attorney general may not be interested in the case, uh, but given the fact that, of course, knowing where the appointment authority is coming from, uh, the difficulty may be there. How about other institutions, say the Office of the Special Prosecutor and others? Are you considering as, as a coalition to perhaps petition his office on this matter? Oh, of course, of course. I mean, the law is no respect of person. I mean, nobody is above the law. So to say that is the vice president, respect and nobody is taking him for granted. But if an issue has been established, then why not? So that, yes, a further investigation will be taken. And I can assure you that those searches will go on, and if anything is unraveled, that calls for a case before the law court. Why not? It will be pursued vigorously. This whole issue about dual nationality and, and whether or not we should be allowing such persons to hold political office, it's as though it's an archaic um, situation that we find ourselves in, a piece of legislation that many 
want us to do away with. What's your take on that? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, for how long now we've been talking about Europa and for, for, for the fact that the, the brothers and sisters abroad contribute so much to the economic development of this country and to deny them to say that if I'm a Ghanaian and my way of work, I've acquired a nationality or for no fault of mine, maybe as childhood at four or five years, you were taken abroad and you acquire other nationality. And then for that reason, you cannot hold certain positions. I think that these are things that ought to be discussed. And I think President, uh, former President Mama and the leader of the NDC have said that if it comes to power. These are some of the things that it will open up for proper... This far into rush hour traffic, most people would have rage accelerated at least once. But not you, Lacey, no hard accelerations ever, Johnson. Because you are a safe driver. And like most drivers who sign up for Snapshot from Progressive, which customizes your rate for how and how much you drive, you could earn a discount for your good driving. So if your hula dancing dashboard doll thinks you're going to hard accelerate because you're running late, then your hula dancing dashboard doll doesn't know. Lacey, no hard accelerations ever, Johnson. Sign up for Snapshot today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in all states or from all agents. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Keep counting at those stop signs, Alex, full stop, and doesn't go until she counts to five, McSweeney, because you are a safe driver. And like most drivers who sign up for Snapshot from Progressive, which customizes your rate for how and how much you drive, you could earn a discount for your good driving. So don't turn into an Alex rolling stop and goes whenever she wants, McSweeney, because once an Alex full stop and doesn't go until she counts to five, McSweeney, always an Alex full stop. Well, you know the rest. Sign up for Snapshot today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in all states or from all agents. Discussion. And I think that we should do it because it's been on the drawing board for a very long time. A very long time. So it's about time that as a country we do not just speak, but we must be seen to be manifestly doing the things that we talk about. And one would expect that for a president who a lawyer, I mean, as we say, would have taken, I mean, a very much interest in, in these issues and I've done with it. And you see, that's where sometimes I have problems. Because when it's a matter of law, then I feel that our president must take a center state. And when these things are left, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite worrisome. Oh. I think that we have to open that, that, that vista for, 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 for proper national discussion. So that if it is the case that we have to put it into practice as quickly as possible, why not? We should do it. Okay, then. Uh, grateful, Niyama Adi, joining us uh... Live via Zoom, grateful. And since you're talking about the vice, uh, the, the former president, I should say, he's now the flag bearer of the opposition uh, NDC. And John Mahama has been calling on Parliament to lead that charge in reviewing the constitutional provisions that prevent Ghanaians with dual citizenship from holding political positions uh, in the country. Former MP in North constituency, James Rachi Kwesing, was stripped of uh, his parliamentary status by a Supreme Court ruling because he owed allegiance to another uh, country contrary to law. Listen to the former president, John Mahama, his take on nationality and others relating to Ropa. The party also acknowledges your concerns about participation in elections and governance. Of particular concern to you have been the constitutional impediments to persons holding dual citizenship and their occupation of some positions in government in Ghana. Only a few weeks ago, we suffered what we considered grave injustice. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado. 
para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA USLRC. When a member of parliament for Asin North was thrown out of parliament by the Supreme Court on grounds that we find entirely unsatisfactory. I previously indicated that one of the things I will do when elected president in 2024 will be to fast track the clarification of the constitutional provision on allegiance that bars our dual citizens from holding some offices in Ghana. I call on our speaker, Honorable Sumana Bagbin, and the Parliament of Ghana to do the needful so that Ghana can benefit fully from the expertise that our citizens have garnered during their sojourn abroad. Another matter which I know concerns you and on which I would like to offer some clarity concerning NDC's position is ROPA. We in the NDC have not been opposed to ROPA in principle. We have kicked against the potential of selective and inequitable implementation of ROPA that lends itself to exploitation by the incumbent party and to the unfair detriment of opposition parties. We have said, and that's the end of this position, if ROPA is ever to be implemented, it should be implemented for every Ghanaian living everywhere outside Ghana. As far as we are concerned, a Ghanaian living in Europe or America should not have a greater right to vote than one living in Asia or in Africa. We in the NDC will not countenance an attempt or conspiracy between the NPP and the Electoral Commission to implement a lopsided ROPA that favors the NPP. And back here in Ghana, we know that the Asin North uh, parliamentary election is heating up. I will deal with these matters, plus the internal race of the new patriotic party as the party looks for a next presidential phase. We're joined by some uh, leading faces of the party to discuss the future of the NPP. It's coming up here on The Pulse. Please stay. You will enjoy free life insurance, oh. free debit card, save what you spend, and an amazing chance to double your salary. A whole year and even more consolation rewards in the EcoBank Double Salary Promo Reloaded. Vimwo, this EcoBank salary account sounds interesting. Oh. What do you think? Uh, 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 yeah, right. But maybe next time, Charlie, you know what? I had a good shine and shoot. Hey. Yo, myself, I had to go check my BP. We going up, never go down, and we stay flat. Hey, chairman, we see the white sign it yet. We going up, never go down, and we stay flat. Hey, chairman, we see the white sign it yet. Most industry, then we'll have a leg to stand up because soy cake will be available. EcoBank double salary promo reloaded from now till July 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Enjoyment. And it's your life regardless. Hmm? 
symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence, and indigestion. Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go. Mwah. Can you bring down the smiles more? <laughs> Gastro, effective relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been written approved by the Every young woman in Ghana is going to be empowered enough to be the light and the heart of our society. I am committed to ensuring that these NGOs are supporting government's efforts and not the opposite. We have developed a very effective cycle for admitting and rehabilitating young women in need. I don't want to be your solution. I don't just want to be the program. I want to be by your side. Get her ready. You're saved and you're brought here to make something of yourself. Only rule is that you stay as good girls. Our investigations here focus on organizations with a seemingly clean sheet. You will fail. You know why? Because I'm not yours. to the polls. Um, a bit of an update for you. We understand that the New Patriotic Party has issued a statement indicating that it will be revising uh, its timelines uh, for the upcoming presidential and parliamentary primaries. Uh, we'll get the details for you shortly. Uh, also take you to the headquarters of the New Patriotic Party, where of course the party is receiving uh, some, uh, of course, uh, nominations uh, because the process started uh, way uh, last week or about two weeks ago. We had a number of uh, party supporters speaking up forms on behalf of all of the candidates involved. The live shot you see on your screens now uh, is what's happening as we speak at the headquarters of the governing New Patriotic Party. And uh, because of that, we'll be hearing any moment from now uh, from one of the candidates or aspirants who's vying to lead the New Patriotic Party. I'm talking about Alan Kojo Chermating. He's set to address the press uh, any moment from now. And you see some of the leading figures uh, of the party uh, step out from the party headquarters where I believe he's been subjected uh, to, well, I, I don't know if it's fair to call it a rigorous vetting exercise and so we'll be hearing uh, alan's take after today's vetting uh, we know that other candidates or aspirants of the party uh, will be uh, going through that same process so that will be done for a total number of about 10 individuals the man you see on your screens now is in studio with me i'm talking about sami krap who once served uh, as a leading figure within the new patriotic party uh, former uh, second uh, second vice chairperson uh, of the new patriotic party thank you so much sir for Thanks, spending man. some time with us you've, you've gone under the radar we've not been hearing from you a lot <laughs> but it's good to have you i mean yes. we've seen the visuals coming through from the party headquarters 
nostalgia, I believe, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. watching all of these uh, activities take place. And it's feeds into this broad reorganization that's taking place within the New Patriotic Party. Ten candidates. And you're looking for only one to lead the NPP. That must be tough for you as a party. That is democracy. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your take on the, on the reorganization? I mean, starting from even the branch level where you started from, you got new constituency level, uh, uh, I mean, executives, and then we saw that exercise here in Accra to elect the national executives. Now as the face of the presidential. We'll talk about the presidential shortly. But your take overall on the reorganization process of your political party. Okay, you did talk about nostalgia. <laughs> you know, um, the last time, I was yes. the one who actually received Alan's forms. Oh, as the second national vice chairman. Wow. So, wow. Nostalgia indeed. Indeed, yes. Yeah. The process is very simple. I don't think there's going to be a voting today. He just okay. submits his forms oh, today. He submitted. Yeah, they accept the forms. They will study the forms. And then later. They will schedule the a date for the voting. Okay, and so, then, so then not, not to cut you, because you know more, much more about the processes. Let's listen in to Alan Kujo Chairman. I understand he's been addressing the press. So let's listen in. Of the eight year term of our executive administration. But whether we succeed or not in reaching our destination on this journey will depend on the choice that the key makers of our party make on the 4th of November this year. The choice to select the new flag bearer and leader of our great party. I want to use this opportunity to make a passionate appeal to the delegates who will be voting in our National Delegates Conference on the 4th of November. As delegates, you are representing not only your own interests, but also the interests of the rank and file of our party. What the rank and file of our party are asking for is that they need a new leader who will satisfy five basic conditions. They are looking for a leader who will help our party to break the eight in 2024 and help NPP to succeed itself in power. They are not just looking for a flag bearer. They are looking for a flag bearer who will become president in 2024, 2025, January. Secondly, they are looking for a candidate with a record of long service and commitment to our party and also someone who will seek and promote the welfare of the rank and file of our party. But they are also looking for a candidate who has the vision to move our party forward and modernize our party. They are looking for a candidate who has the competence, the experience, and the knowledge to respond to the critical challenges of our time, which is to be able to create jobs for our teaming youth and to bring prosperity to our country. And last but not the least, they are looking for a candidate who will unify our party so that together we march towards victory in 2024. That candidate who fits this bill 
it's your own brother, father, uncle, Alan John Kujuchramatin. And I'm using this platform to make a passionate and special appeal to our delegates that if the people of Ghana are asking for Alan to become the next president of our republic, please make Alan the leader and we'll break the eight. And this is my passionate appeal to you. Thank you and God bless you. So, so you have uh, Alan Kujicharmating there uh, making his statement and uh, live pictures from the NPP headquarters where uh, he's uh, officially now uh, filed his nomination. We know that the processes will uh, follow through as the party has indicated. There's a revised uh, timeline now for the governing New Patriotic Party uh, with regards to the voting processes and that will also apply to some of the orphan constituencies. We've just seen that statement uh, coming through from the governing New Patriotic Party. We'll update you on that shortly, uh, but uh, Mr. Krabs is still here with us in studio and you've been listening to Alan Kujicharmating deliver uh, his address. Um, he, he's the first to have gone through the process of filing his uh, nomination. We don't know if the nine others will join to make it 10. Uh, but some key statements he's been uh, making, indicating that if the people want Alan to be president, then the party must yield. It's as though he's, he feels he's in the lead already. Yeah, he is in the lead. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. From where I sit, mm. from the data that I see, he is in the lead. And my data, or our data, is correct because... It is validated by the polls mm -hmm. that have come out, very consistent. So I know he's in the lead. I know he's the one that the country actually wants, mm -hmm. and the country has been asking for. I know that he is the one. So he is in the lead, and um, it's very important that the delegates actually respond to the nation. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we select our candidate, and the nation has to approve. So that's what he's calling for, mm -hmm. that the delegates should respond to the nation's but I see that he acknowledges that there will be a step, first of all, uh, starting with the superdelegates conference. Absolutely. The delegates would have to decide, trim down the numbers, if indeed we're going to be dealing with a set of 10, and then eventually uh, the broader mass of, of, the, of the party. Do you feel that Alan will make it through all these stages? Oh, definitely he will. Uh, I mean, uh, what's giving you that confidence, by the way? Because I have the data. I mean, I sit... I mean, the data you're speaking to, I don't have that data. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I can't show it to you. <laughs> but the thing is that, yes, because I'm mm -hmm. crunching the whole thing, right. um, um, I'm also responsible for operations, like in Great Accra. Mm -hmm. I work with Honorable uh, Sebastian who is the chairman of right. operations committee, and the rest. So I've been very instrumental in helping to restructure and set and put everything together. And I, I tested the hypothesis. When we started this all, okay. I just looked at it and I said, okay, if everybody's saying that Alan Chemati is the man, mm -hmm the man of the moment, then if I we go out there setting up the organization all the way to the polling station, we shouldn't have a problem. And we never did. So as I speak with you right now, our baseline is 21% set. And they are going to now bring in the rest and we have so many months. And in certain places, we even have five out of five polling stations. So I know what I'm talking about. And of course, it's a snapshot. It's always a snapshot. Here's where you are. Things can change. People change their minds. But if we work very hard at making sure that we get these votes out on that day, ensuring that they vote, and the votes 
accounted and declared for Alan Martin. He's going to be the next. Uh, Very often, the Alan campaign is being criticized of feeling or ha of having some sense of um, entitlement. So still you, you feel, well, it's his turn, and, and that's the message you've been selling all through, as though there's a natural line of succession, and this is the time. Yeah, many, pe many people feel so. Many people feel but that. But you know the history of the party too well. Your elders say, and, and I'm sure you've heard from some of them, indicate that there's nothing as such. Well, then there is nothing as such to them. Okay. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. But many people feel so. So what we're going to do... That's why I'm asking about your view, because your opinion... No, my view is that, critical. yes, he talks about long service. Right. I think long service must be rewarded mm. everywhere. Mm. In any institution, people start from somewhere, and they run through the ranks, you know. And so th there's so much experience you gather as you go, you know. Mm. And he's gathered that experience. You know, Alan has been with this party even before 1992, the formation. Alan was the president of the Young Executive Forum. And his vice president chairman was Mark Menu. Alan was contesting uh, with Kufo Nanado in 1998 when he stepped down. Just so Kufo, he wouldn't split the, the account front, so Ashanti front, so Kufo could actually go through. And Alan actually also contested Nanado, and he yielded. He didn't want to push the party into you know a dire street. And, and, and he served the party. You know, they are first head office at Kukumimli around here. Yeah, it was the YEF, led by Alan, that provided the office. So he's kind of gone through, and when he was at Emprotech, he helped a lot of our folks. You know, at that time, you know, Rawlings was in power, and there was absolutely no way if you had the MPP tag, you would even be able to, you know, have a better economy. So Alan was the one who was out there trying to help each and every one of us. So he served. And if people think that he's and then they probably will vote because they think it is his turn. If you think it's not his turn, that's your opinion. And so you vote against the fact that it's not his turn. But I believe that uh, a majority of our people feel that he has served, and so he must be given the opportunity uh, to lead us into the 2024. How about, you know, the, the predictions that the dynamics within the party has changed? You've had, for instance, um, uh, phenomenon faces that have uh, emerged within your own political party. At the time you were marketing him as your vice presidential candidate, he's now the uh, vice president of the republic. You've sold him to the people of, of Ghana as the economic mazar. The next elections will be about the economy. The NDC says they are putting their best foot forward. You don't feel that it will be about the economy and that probably the best man you may want to put in for that job should be someone who spearheaded the economic management team. Yes, it's going to be about the economy, but there's a difference between an economy and economics. You see, look at all these um, Western countries, advanced countries. I, I, I can't point to anywhere right. mm -hmm. with a lead, an economist as a leader, but look at the way they built their economies. Economy is about movement, the ability to have people, services move, interact, and create value. 
So that's what we're talking about. And the economists will go and write about it and analyze the data that you generate. So these are two different things. So if you talk about the economy, we're talking about someone who's actually shown mm -hmm. that he's been able to create opportunities for people. He's created a movement, mm -hmm. the dynamics that have come together for people's personal economies to change. Mm -hmm. And we're going to aggregate all of these things and provide Ghana what they want. They want jobs. Mm -hmm. That's what people want. Mm -hmm. They don't want people record, uh, reporting on economic data. Mm -hmm. They want jobs. And he has shown that he can create jobs. And that's exactly what he's going to do. All you've shown me is that he's helped party faithful. No, I didn't say only party people. Yeah, but you haven't, you haven't pointed us to concretely what he's done to change for example, the, the, the lives of Ghana. For example, Casapreku. Um, you know, Alan headed Empretech. And through Empretech, he did groom and nurture a lot of big businesses you see now in Ghana. So right. he can see. He can see the potential and help put in place the kind of structures and systems, uh, the kind of environment that people need to be able to prosper. If you look at margins, mm -hmm. today margins is huge. Right. Margins was nothing. Opposite Empretech, there were just some young men coming up. Right. Alan through Empretech brought them up. Even as... Uh, um, trade and industry minister, you can see what he's been able to do, provide the environment, the African free trade. He did start it uh, as an envoy of um, uh, the AU, right, mm -hmm. trade advisor. Right. He started it, finished it up as a minister. Mm -hmm. He's created an environment, now you have about five plants mm -hmm. doing different, you know, um, uh, versions of vehicles. Mm -hmm. He is that kind of person. That's what we're talking about. Because what we now need is someone who can create the kind of environment for you and I to thrive. But, but that's the message you're selling. Others point to uh, the fact that he's been a member of the economic management team. The results are right here staring us in our face. Worst economic performance in the history of the Republic. We've never seen this before. Yeah, the economic management team is set. So if you're a, if you're a trade minister, you'll be there. If you are vice president, you be chairman. Yeah, but he was a member. Yeah, I mean, extolled by the vice president at the time as being a fantastic individual. Yeah, maybe maybe the bright spots of the economy came from him, because he was an amazing member of the committee. Mm -hmm. But I think it is not too good to look at things from that angle because mm -hmm. when you have such institutions, right. we have something we call collective responsibilities. Mm -hmm. For example, in this institution, you can go to management meetings. You can opine very differently. At the end of the day, the person sitting at the head of the table makes the decision. The chairman of the whatever the committee, committee, the board, yes. makes the decision. So the back was always stop with that person. So I don't want to go in detail and point fingers or whatever, but he was a member of the... You don't know what went into his... Well, I'm asking that point, and we'll be having up shortly, but I'm asking that question because of, for instance, the new promises making about the great... Transformational plan. plan. Many say, well, if you had all these amazing ideas, why not give it to your boss at the time, He could have succeeded with the plan. What makes you think I did it? He did? Maybe he did. And he didn't pursue You tell us. I don't know. You, you so you wouldn't know. The thing is that when you have collective responsibility, people sit down. You never can tell. And there's absolutely no way... Alan Chemati, me knowing Alan Chemati, that he's going to stand out there and say, I dissented here, I dissented there. No. It's a collective responsibility, but the buck stops with the person at the head. He's asking you to make him the head. Mm -hmm. And when he gets there, hold him responsible. However, in his private life, in 
even as a minister. Please check what he did when he was sitting at the table, the head of the table, as minister, the things he was able to do. And then you look at what he was able to do in his private capacity. I've given you two examples of the many companies that he raised. So he's telling you that I'm going to transform the economy. I know how to do that. I'm a diplomat, I'm a politician. He's going to deliver that to you. Uh, Sami, let me give you a minute. Speak to the people of Ghana why you believe that your candidate is best fit to lead the NPP. I'm sure your delegates are listening as well. Well, I believe because at this moment we, we have issues and problems. Mm. Ghana's economy needs to be transformed. It needs to move forward. I think it's a very small economy. You need to have people who, who have done it before. They, they've had visions before and they've managed. They've managed the various elements, brought them together, moved them to create value. Mm. That is not economics. All right. It's building an economy. Mm. You don't need an economist to do that. All right. Grateful, Sami Krab, uh, for joining us. Highways are uh, generally uh, smooth in nature, serving as uh, quick routes for uh, drivers, uh, but that's not the case uh, of the highway from Kaneshi First Light to the Odoko Waterworks uh, area. There's more in this report for you. Creamy beverages always delight the town. But splashes of the ones on the streets of a creamy beverages always delight the town. But splashes of the ones on the streets of a creamy could actually even trigger speculative activities on the market in the coming days, really. And if they're not taking, we might reverse some of the things we are seeing on inflation. If, if the trend continues up, as we are expecting, really. So we are not out of the woods. There is a lot at stake at this point. Well, what would be the implication if the IMF program is not approved on time? The situation has persisted for the past seven years. We've been pleading with authorities, but to no avail. Because of the poor, like terrible, devastating, and a real pain. These are some of the strong adjectives commuters use in describing the glaring portals sitting in the middle of some parts of the Kaneshi Malam Highway, a principal road network in the capital, Accra. <laughs> A brief inspection of some parts of the highway from Kaneshi First Light to Odoko Waterworks indeed affirmed that the sentiments of road users are not far-fetched, neither are they exaggerations. But some things need to be said in terms of... The situation is simply an eyesore, posing a lot of unbearable inconveniences for commuters. Some of the road users who spoke to join use could simply not hide their displeasure. Charlie, uh, this one in Ugukra, honestly, every time in less than like six months, it gets back to, you know, worse. You know, yeah, it's really bad. This road originally was very, very good. They came with a certain machine and then they just graded the whole road. And the thing was supposed to fix it some way, somehow. And that's what actually started this whole thing. It's very bad. And this road... They do the road. I don't know the kind of uh, things they are using to do the road. If they do the road more than one month or, or less than one month, then they are damaged again. And we are pleading to the government 
to come and do the road for us. The cars are not able to move freely here due to the gullies, creating a very awkward situation all the time. I wonder why authorities can't fix the situation. As usual, they are waiting for a child of a high-profile person to die on the road before they get to work. Meanwhile, if the youth block the road in protest now, they will be questioned. The road from here, that is Kanishi First Light to Odoko, has some issues. Authorities should at least tackle some of the issues, even if not all. Just in the middle of the road at Odoko Waterworks is a more dire situation. A pool, not designed by nature, sits in the road created by constant friction between car ties and the road. The effects of the mini swimming pool at Doko Waterworks have far-reaching consequences. Ordinarily, road users stand on the last lane, which has now been blocked by water, to board vehicles. But the portals have compelled them to stand at a much riskier location to get on vehicles. This, they further lament, is worrying. The water is just destroying the road, creating manholes on the road. The water has also blocked the road. So we are pleading with authorities to promptly address the situation. The menace is increasingly severe, and the one thing the commuters want is nothing but an immediate solution. For the scores of road users who are not happy with the numerous potholes that have littered the stretch from Kaneshi First Light all the way to Odoko, their concern is that government must speedily intervene in order to avert the inconveniences that the situation normally poses for them. For Joy News, my name is Pakwesi Shandoff. <laughs> And continue to be a part of that campaign. Uh, all we needed to do is to hashtag change potholes on all of our social media platforms. So definitely uh, pick that up and read to the rest of the world or perhaps uh, share them as well to reach out to the authorities. I want to bring in now engineer, um, of course, uh, Mahama, who has been monitoring all of this, helping us with an analysis and discussions ever since we started this uh, exhibition. Uh, engineer, thank you for spending some time with us. Of course, an engineer when it comes to road and uh, building con uh, construction. Uh, thank you um, for, for spending some time with us. You, you've seen the latest we've done uh, on the Malam uh, area. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with the stretch. What, what do you yeah. suspect may be accounting for, for that, that, of course, situation that we're seeing in the report? Well, uh, I'll say a good afternoon to your viewers. I hope you can hear me. Loud and clear, sir. All right, so um, finally I was on that road a couple of weeks, I think two weeks ago, uh, to do my own assessment on some of the roads we have. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir Nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. In the corridor. And uh, I've realized that, you know, the road has actually experienced a lot of flooding. 
um, yearly when we have even minor rains within the capital, um, the uh, or the Kakanishi stretch is not exempted from the remit of uh, the results of the inundated water on the road. And you know, um, floodwaters is an enemy to our road construction. Um, one of the things I've seen on that road, I observed, was that the road has actually, it's old. Uh, we think uh, there might be some assessment of the nature of the what we call the road condition survey have to be carried out. And uh, uh, remedial works have to be done on the portal part, all the portals, and then possibly um, an overlay, an asphaltic overlay would be, would be ideal, considering the result that will be determined or would be um, revealed after the road condition survey is done. You know, when you do that condition survey, the expected or the outstanding lifespan of the road will be, will be assessed by the results that you, you have. What I also saw was that um, in, in making it general, I've noticed that a lot of the roads experience floods suddenly after years of construction. Those uh, may be attributed to uh, unapproved structures which are actually put on the water channels um, reducing the space or the area of the flow of water. And in that case, you get a lot of water onto the roads. These are also the external factors that will affect the, the road condition. But making it broader, uh, I think some of the potholes that we see on our roads start as a result of the few external activities. You see a vehicle which has a bus tie moving on our road. In fact, you see that the way the metal we will be using will go across the, the road for a very long time before the car will, start, they will come to a halt. Right. That thin line, that cut across the road, is a source of worry to the pavement uh, integrity. Uh, you would have uh, portals which are done by uh, uh, local guys, especially some of the MPs or the assembly decide to give those section of the portal patch into their But they're not properly constructed or uh, remedied. It rather aggravates the situation. And I also know that the um, the lack of funds from the central government in releasing to the various assemblies or the um, agencies like the Department of Airman Roads and the Ghana Air Authority and the Federals to carry out these portal patches on time exponentially increase the deterioration on the roads when they are not done. So let's say if you have a, a diameter of an ear like my palm, mm. a portal like my palm on one the road, uh, segmented across the stretch, and then they are supposed to be remedied like in the first quarter of the year. Mm. Before you come in by the second quarter or the third quarter. Mm. Uh, engineer. The, right. Mm. Can you hear? Right. Uh, it was probably increased the effect on the road. Mm, I see. Uh, well, we're grateful for your time here on the polls. That's Engineer Mahama joining us uh, with his take uh, on the latest in our series, GH uh, Portals Exhibition. Don't forget that you can be a part of that. Hashtag GH um, Portals. And we'll also get to see what's happening within your community. The local government ministry, uh, specifically the minister, Dan Boche, uh, has spent um, today visiting beneficiary metropolitan and municipal assemblies uh, of the Greater Crown Resilient and Integrated Development Project, uh, Garrett, as is uh, otherwise known. Uh, his mission is to assess the progress of the ongoing 
the silting works uh, on local drains in the assemblies as the rains are beginning to setting over the weekend. Uh, videos of an astroturf in Nima flooded after a brief rainfall. And that situation is not peculiar to Nima alone. The entire city of Accra and other parts of the country are prone to flooding. I will get an update um, on the local government and ministries uh, talk today, but uh, we can speak to someone who knows about the work required to end this flooding in the country. Joining us now is Ernest uh, Morgan, Aqua, his uh, PR and Corporate Affairs Manager uh, for Zoom Lion. Ghana, thank you for spending some time with us. Gary, um, is underway, it's taking us so many years to complete the project itself, but the rains have set in. And many are wondering what exactly the situation, uh, the solution will be at, at this time. I mean, we've spoken about it, so <laughs> it's, it's nothing new to you. You know when it rains after five minutes, oh, the, the whole place is flooded. What's the solution, really? The solution, now we can talk of the... Mm. ...have better systems, to have a proper um, non-flooding area... Each and everyone should know how to hold this waste because right. the best way to um, the best way for waste management is to get a receptacle to hold your waste. Mm-hmm. So when you uh, hold your waste well, it goes a long way in preventing flooding. Also, we can talk of um, how do you call it the, the planning. One of the days that when you go to Dansuman, when you go to Tema, the layout was so clear. But now everybody is building. And you go to Glyphe, the waterway, people are now filling up the waterways just to get the land to build on the land. But definitely water will find its way. So if we don't prevent these things and push on enforcement, that we, we, should, we should close our eyes and let's the laws work. You know, if we allow it like that and everybody is doing what he wants to do, every day, every year, we'll come and we'll be talking about flooding. Uh, and since your company deals in waste, you're talking about that as part of the key challenge that we have as a country. Plastics have been part of the challenge. I don't know if beyond that there is a, a, a unique situation that you see with every gun and a reason for which you are, I mean, experiencing this flooding. Yes, plastic. You know, plastic is the second, our second generation point of waste, um, waste that we get in the country. And what we are saying is that now we are putting value on the plastics. You know, I always say that when you see diamond and um, you can't do anything with a diamond, we see, you see it as a stone and you leave it. But when you see a diamond on the floor, you pick it because you know it's a diamond. Let us put value on the plastics so that we don't leave it anywhere. When you go somewhere... They pick the plastics, then they pay for it. So you wouldn't want to leave it anywhere. So that's why we, as a company, Zoom Line and the Jospon Group, now what we are doing is we are creating buyback centers. We are buying all the plastics in the system so that we would use these same plastics to produce waste bins, to produce plastic chairs, to produce buckets for, for us all. So that's the, the angle that we are going on. We have created um, recycling plants. We have one at the Kolebu stretch. We have one at um, Ajay Kotoku. We are also doing the transfer stations so that at least we would, have, would use the waste for something better in the system. But then uh, when it comes to the 
attitude or, I mean, the behavior pattern of Ghanaians themselves, that, that will also count, definitely. Yes, they, but that's why I talked about the, the enforcement. Because we've done a lot of education. We've, we have Zoom Kate Club, we have gone round, we've done mass media education. I can tell you, on fact, that everybody knows something that he or she is supposed to do concerning waste. But because when they do it, nothing happens. There is no punitive action. So you will do it rather than to go and pay for your waste or to do something. So we are calling that the government should help us to whip small. When we, we, we started the whipping, I think things yeah. will fall in its place. And, and, and that brings to mind the issue about the partnership with the Republic. Um, you're running, for instance, a, a new partnership that would deal with some of these situations that we're looking at. Practically, w- what's the target and what do you seek to achieve working together with the Ministry of Local Government and Rural Development? Yes, so we are in partnership with the Ministry of Sanitation, Ministry of Local Government, Government Ministry of Health. But the aspect of enforcement lies solely with the MMDAs. So we as a private um, entity cannot do the enforcement. It's the MMDAs, with the help of the environmental health officers, they have the mandate to uh, enforce the law. So we can just advise them, we can just motivate them, but they have to ensure that the enforcement is done so that we will all set up. Any final message for Ghanaians who may also have to, in, in fact, it's, it's a national duty now, because if the rains come, the flooding come, it will affect all of us. What's your expectation from the general public going forward? What we expect from the general public is first and foremost to have a receptacle to hold your waste, okay. and also know the person that is servicing your waste. Most of the times now, most of us are glued in using Abobuya. Abobuya is not bad. Right. The informal sector, it's not bad. But let us know where they are taking the waste to. Some of them will pick the waste from the frontage of your house, deposit it behind your house. When it rains, it pushes it back to the frontage. You understand? Let us know where they are sending the waste to. That's why we are creating the transfer station so that at least the proximity to the final disposal site will be short. And we we should all be responsible. And if we are all responsible... We will not be shouting on the government every time to help us control the flooding. Okay, then, and I'm grateful uh, that you've been able to join us. Um, in fact, uh, speaking about uh, what's happened at Botiano, the story we brought to you earlier, uh, we need to bring you uh, an update, a very quick one. My colleague, Pakwesi Shandoff, is joining us uh, live from the community now. Kwesi, uh, what can you report? Right, uh, we, we are currently here, and uh, this is um, a farmland, actually. Uh, but uh, we understand that this is the the place, the where the incident, and uh, this is um, a farmland, actually. Uh, but uh, we understand that this is the the place, the where the incident engaged in digital trade. One of the most exciting happenings in the world today is the rise of digital trade. Digitally delivered services are growing faster. 
We were speaking to the owner of this farmland, and he says that he was not here at the time of the incident. Uh, however, uh, it will come out and interact with us uh, for fear. I mean, arising, of course, out of uh, the, this uh, particular uh, development. But so, so generally, it's not a calm and uh, peaceful um, climate here. Uh, if if I should put it that way, the only person who has bothered to interact with us, even on uh, even with that, on the grounds of anonymity, is the owner uh, of the where the incident uh, happened. John the latest uh, from the Botiano community uh, where there are some uh, recorded cases of extrajudicial killings. And that's all we have for you here on The Pulse. I am blessed to so log on to myjoyonline.com. Updates uh, there for you. Lots of stories for you to catch up on. We'll see you again tomorrow. From us and the team here. Next is uh, Lex Stolchobis. Thanks for watching us. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. and thrilling podcasts and live shows 